back for more, eh? You do it to yourself. Don't blame me. Anyhow, we've got about nine or ten chapters left in Second Kings, and we've got the fall of the Northern Kingdom to get through, as well as I think a couple of good reigns of Southern Kings before the eventual exile. And um, we are in chapter sixteen, and this is the king of Judah named Ahaz, and he's a bad king. We actually had a few okay kings, remember? It said he did was right right in the eyes of the Lord according to his father David or his father Amaziah or whatever. So we had a succession of like stable kings, and now this one's going to go very sideways. Verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, and his father David had, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. All right, so we're introduced to this Ahaz, and we're given kind of one big story. If you want to know how bad he is, he uh, committed child sacrifice with his own son. Now, this is off the charts bad, and he's a total idolater. He's making offerings everywhere. So he's gone very, very south under the influence of the kings of Israel from the north. Verse 5, Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Remember, they were mentioned in the last chapter as, be, as the Lord sending them against Judah. So here we are. Um, Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but they could but could not conquer him. So that's interesting. So, you know, Jerusalem's always had, um, has always been a very strongly defendable city. It's surrounded by hills on like three sides, and you put some tall walls around that, and so... Um, the kings attacked and surrounded but couldn't conquer the city. Verse 6, at the, that time, Rezin the king of Syria recovered Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. And the Edomites came to Elath and they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Syria, saying, Am I not your servant and your son? Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. And the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kir, and he killed Rezin. All right, so in the last time I was talking about the rise of Assyria as a superpower, and so this event really does chronicle that ascendancy somewhat. So Tiglath-Pileser is... Uh, sought and bribed by the king of Judah against his personal enemies, and he comes and conquers Syria and Israel. And so now is, unless something happens I don't know about, uh, he's he's now the dominant force. Tiglath Pileser of Assyria is now the dominant nation in this area that's waging war in the Middle East here. Um, and Ahaz thinks this is such a great thing. And it's a great dishonor to pillage the temple of the Lord for uh, precious metals in order to bribe foreign kings. The Lord does not like this, but um, hey, at least it gets these guys who had just attacked him and surrounded him off his back. Verse 10. 
And when King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, he saw the altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern, exact in all details. And Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with all that the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus to Uriah the priest. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz arrived from Damascus. So this is the scene here. So Damascus has just been conquered. Ahaz goes to Damascus to congratulate Tiglath-Pileser. And he sees the altar there. And I'm not sure if this is um, an Assyrian altar or if this is the Syrian altar. But it is the altar of a foreign king worshipping a foreign god. And Ahaz is struck by how huge and wonderful it is. And he wants that same kind of altar in his hometown. And so they're going to build it uh, as a replacement for the altar of the Lord in the temple. Verse 12, And when the king came up from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. Then the king drew near to the altar and went up on it. And he burned his burnt offering and grain offering and poured his drink offering and threw the blood of his peace offering on the altar. Now here's chronicling the removal of what had been built under Solomon. In the bronze altar that was before the Lord, he removed from the front of the house, from the place between his altar and the house of the Lord, and put it in the north side of his altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great altar burn the morning and burnt, morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering, and the king's burnt offerings and his grain offerings with the burnt offerings of all the people of the land, and their grain offerings and the drink offering, and throw on it all the blood of the burnt offerings and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. And Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz commanded. So he's taken the altar of the Lord and now moved it and made it just something for his own personal use maybe even witchcraft uncertain but you see this like the king doing this great act of infusing pagan worship into um, the temple and he's a child sacrificer and so he's just a full-on pagan and this is not good furthermore verse 17 and King Ahaz cut off the frames of the stands, removed the basin from them, and he took down the sea from off the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a stone pedestal. So remember, this book is the second part of the book that contains uh, Solomon building all this stuff back at the beginning of 1 Kings, where they had this humongous bowl of water that they called the sea that was on top of bronze oxen. And we're actually seeing the work that Solomon had done undone by a very, very late descendant which um, represents, you know, the faith of David and Solomon when it's undone, that it expresses itself in physical terms through the actual physical worship of the people. Verse 18, And the covered way for the Sabbath that had been built inside the house and the outer entrance of the king he caused to go around the house of the Lord because of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his father's was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And Hezekiah is going to be a good king, I think, unless my memory fails me. But you see, this that's the end of the chapter, and you see a few things going on here. You see Assyria rising to prominence as the superpower, and you see the uh, worship of God in the temple being undercut by a bad king. And you kind of just go, oh man, this is one of these situations where you're like, what is the Lord going to do? Because 
um, Ahaz and Jerusalem deserve to be wiped off the faith of the planet because of doing this, the child sacrifice and uh, removing the temple. They deserve to be wiped out, but God has given this promise to David, and so we've got to see what he's going to do here. And it looks like what he does is he raises up a faithful king in his place, and that is our chapter. Somewhat short, but that's okay. Pick it up again soon.